Pastor Arlene Stubbs from NLAG Hyderabad speaks on responsible citizenship, challenging us to follow biblical standards as citizens and fulfilling our call to be salt and light in our world. I just want to remind us about one very important truth that we see in Scripture in Ephesians 6, uh, verse 17. The Bible says, Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Right? Now, who's supposed to take the sword? You or the Holy Spirit or the angels? We. Right? It's part of our armor. We're supposed to take that. We're supposed to use the sword of the Spirit. And it says, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. The way we use that word, one of the ways, most important ways, is to speak that word out of our mouths, to declare God's word. As we speak that word, just the way Jesus used that word when the enemy came against him and the devil came to tempt him over and over again, he repeatedly said, it is written. It is written. He spoke that word. And so it's important for us in every circumstance, in every situation of our lives, just to speak that word. It's our weapon against the enemy. So no matter what situation, you speak the word. Say what God says. Declare what God has said about you, about your present, and about your future. Right? Here's a little statement that you probably heard me say before. My present situation is no indication of my final destination. Amen? So I'm not going to declare the way things are. I'm going to declare the way things God said they should be. And then I'm expecting my situations to align themselves to the way God said it should be. Amen? So my presence, don't look at me through my present situation because my present situation is no indication of my final I'm going somewhere that's greater, better, grander, that's right here on earth into a future that God has for me that's described by his word. And so we consistently declare the word of God. Let's stand to our feet this morning as we make our declaration. If you brought your Bibles, I want you to hold high up in the air. Let's say this out loud, bold and strong together. This is God's word. This is God speaking to me. I am who God says I am. I can do what God says I can do. I will become everything God has promised. I'm saved, healed, delivered, redeemed. I am blessed, victorious, prosperous, triumphant. I'm a minister of God, a servant of Christ, and a channel of his blessing to many people. I receive his word. I believe his word. And I live by his word. Christ is my master. And to him, I am in absolute surrender. In Jesus' name, amen. Please remain standing for a few moments. Back in 1975, a missionary couple sent from the Assemblies of God came to India, 1975, it's a long time ago. (laughs) Pastor Arlene and her late husband, Reverend Earl Stubbs, were sent as missionaries to India by the Assemblies of God. And uh, in the early days, they were focused on teaching and establishing Bible colleges. Uh, They established Bible colleges in Punalur, Kerala, in Bellari, Karnataka, and also in uh, Mayapur, Andhra Pradesh. 
And then in 1983, uh, they began to pioneer the New Life Assemblies of God Church in Secunderabad. They started with four people. And today, what started as a small group of people on uh, Rashtrapati Road in 1983 has become a large congregation of more than 6,000 people. The Dreamland Theater that was once used to screen movies for British re- residents in Secunderabad became their venue. They took it over. And church was meeting there for a long time. And uh, every Sunday they have uh, three services. And so this morning we are really honored uh, to have Pastor Arlene Stubbs with us. She spent more than, she said, five decades in India. Right? So first 10 years growing up, she spent some time. And then four decades as a missionary, as a, as a minister of God, preaching, ministering right here in our nation. Uh, and she's at the uh, New Life Assemblies of God. She's, uh, she's the, currently the senior pastor of the church. Uh, she has served in prior, previous years as a minister of music, uh, as a director of children's ministry. Her special joy is to write and uh, produce cantatas and dramas for Christmas and Easter. And she's also spent a lot of time uh, developing the care cell leadership uh, in her church. So we are honored, extremely honored. Uh, to have with us this morning, Pastor Arlene Stubbs. Let's put our hands together uh, and give her a warm welcome here this morning. All right, you got to do better than that. Thank you. Thank you very much. You may be seated. It is a joy for me to be here with you today, a real honor and uh want to say thank you to Pastor Ashish and to Amy. They have been with us in Hyderabad. They've been a blessing to us. And uh, we're just so thankful to be part of the family of God, aren't you? Sometimes the family of God, many times, we're closer to the people in that family <laughs> than we are to our own natural families and it's, it's a joy, and we just thank you. We thank you for the blessing you've been at our church as well, ministering there. And I thought, uh, I, I don't usually travel away on Sunday, but I thought it's not fair to expect Pastor Ashish to come and minister to us and then always say, no, I'm too busy, I'm too busy, because I know you're a very busy man. So I thought that's not fair. So here we are, just delighted to be with you today. And nice surprise to see my good friend, Pastor Bolasing. My goodness, long time. I've known Pastor Bala Singh. I shouldn't be surprised because this is Bangalore. And actually, there's a lot of people I know here in Bangalore. And uh, I was telling uh, Pastor Ashish and Amy this morning, we, we meaning when my husband and I used to come to Bangalore every year for something, for a conference, for SABC graduation. I mean, we had many reasons to come to Bangalore, not the least of which was to go to Commercial Street or Brigade Road. I mean, for me, that is, you know. Uh, <laughs> When we lived in Kerala, we lived in a pukka village. I mean, there was nothing. You could hardly get groceries. I mean, I used to. Anyway, that's, that's a whole other story. But it, we loved to come to Bangalore. And we always allowed extra days. However long the conference was, we would come earlier. We'd go later because we had to, you know, do those spiritual things. Uh, go to Commercial Street and Brigade Road and, you know, the things you, important things in life. So uh, we love Bangalore. And have a lot of friends here, and so happy to be here with you today. I'm happy to be here 
on this special day because this is the day before Independence Day. And uh, as we were riding just the brief trip from the uh, hotel here, we saw the people on the corners, you know, selling the flags. And uh, I, I love these special days. I like and I believe that patriotism is an important part of our life. And I believe that we as Christians, we should be the best patriots of India. As, as Christian people. And I, I want to think about some of those things today. But what gripped me this morning, I was actually looking in the paper to see what I had missed uh, on the, uh, the Olympic area. What, how in, did India triumph anywhere? You know, we, we have a lot of extra flag waving going on. Usually we wave the flag twice a year, uh, Independence Day and January for Republic Day. Other than that, you pack up the flags and we forget about it. But the Olympics comes every four years. And, of course, that's a very country. uh, We magnify and we uh, stand for our countries at that time. So you see the athletes when they win in their races or whatever, they drape the flag around them of the country that they represent. And it's so exciting to... uh, you know, their enthusiasm for their country. And, of course, I, uh, I, because I live in India, I root for the Indian athletes. Sometimes it's encouraging, sometimes not, not so much. But uh, I have a deep theological question. Is it okay, Pastor uh, Ashish, to pray that our athletes will win? I mean, is that okay? I was actually thinking about that last night. Actually, you know, if you watch the Olympics or if you're a tennis fan, I like tennis, you know that Sonia and Bopana are doing well. And I thought, you know, I want to just pray that they'll win that next. They're up to the semis. That's good. That's good. They're on the world stage, for goodness sake. There's fantastic players at that level. And then I thought, boy, I better ask pastor, is it okay? Is it okay to pray about that? (laughs) Anyway, uh, we, you know, we have... Patriotism. We want our athletes. I'm, I'm rooting for Sonia. And I know that Venus Williams from the U.S. Is, is her opponent. I'm for Sonia. Don't tell Venus. She wouldn't care anyway. She doesn't know me. And, of course, uh, Sina uh, Nawal, where I'm you know, hoping she does well in badminton. Some of the others are already out. Some few still in. But it's appropriate to stand for our country, for our athletes, and... I think it's especially appropriate because this happens always in the summertime when we celebrate Independence Day. Tomorrow, we will be celebrating 69 years completed of independence. What a wonderful thing that is. Uh, on Independence Day, we thank the Lord for our freedom. And we think about the advantages that we have in this nation. Now, I know that we complain a lot about the things we don't like. And I'm guilty. I I don't see you complain. I said we. That means all of us. Uh, Especially when I'm in my car, I complain. I complain about the roads. And I, you know, I I think of things I wish were different. But, you know, we we have a lot of amenities. We we are blessed. We have roads. Uh, The railway system, I... I've read, but I've forgotten the statistic. We're either the largest or one of the largest railway systems in the world. I know Russia has an enormous system because it's such a big country, but India has a massive uh, system. Uh, we, we do have electricity. It comes and goes, but we have it. And we, we have water most of the time. I mean, there are th- men, things that we do have 
that, you know, you look at other countries around us, I, I, we're blessed. Uh, something I believe that is, is here in India to a great degree is law and order. I appreciate the police and the system here. You look at other countries, they don't have the law and order that we have in India. Uh, we, are, we have the great protection of our defense services, our army and Air Force and Navy and all the services. We honor you. Some of you probably have served. And we honor you today because uh, you keep us safe and you help us to sleep comfortably at night, not worried what's going to happen. We thank you for that. But one of the things that I think we as Christians should be most grateful for in our country is the freedom of worship. We can gather here on Sunday. We don't have to be hiding in a forest. We don't have to have an underground church. Is that a blessing? Yes, that's a great blessing. I thank God that the Constitution in this country guarantees us that freedom. That's a wonderful thing. And we, we, uh, are, we express appreciation and thankfulness to God and to India for that great thing. Around midnight... On August the 14th, in the year 1947, and I never say his name quite right, right, Jawaharlal Nehru, I can say Nehru, made his now famous speech to the Indian Constituent Assembly. And he began with these eloquent words, long years ago, we made a tryst with destiny. And now the time comes when we shall redeem our pledge. Very beautiful words. Makes me think of uh, Lincoln's Emancipation Proclamation. It's, you know, words of that magnitude. Then he went on to say this. Freedom and power bring responsibility. The responsibility rests upon this assembly, a sovereign body representing the sovereign people of India. And I want you to notice these words especially. Freedom brings responsibility. We're going to think about that today. What responsibility we have. I, I titled my message Responsible Sh Citizenship, but really the subtitle is Freedom Brings Responsibility. So we're going to focus on that for just a few minutes today. The problem, I believe, in our country is that we as believers don't always recognize the duty that we have to our own country. Many believers remain aloof from public life, maybe because of political corruption and party strife. They're, they, they're, those things are there. Others enter into public duty, but somewhere along the line, they leave their religious convictions behind. And then we have these so-called Christian people, politicians or in very, various areas of government, that have a reputation for dishonesty and corruption. They have the name, but they have forgotten their responsibility. There is a sad lack often of Christian statementship and statesmanship and of Christian influence. That's what I want us to think about today. How can I, and what is my responsibility as a Christian citizen to be a good citizen of India and still retain my citizenship in the heavenly kingdom, is there a conflict between that? First of all, let's look at what the Bible says. Paul wrote very strongly about how we should behave as citizens, our responsibility to the state. And I'm going to read 
those verses to you. I'm reading uh, from the uh, NIV translation, but you can follow along in any translation you would like. I'm reading from Romans, the 13th chapter. I'm going to start reading at verse 1, Romans chapter 13 and verse 1. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror to those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free uh, from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and he will commend you. For he is God's servant to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he, for he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant, an agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. This is why you pay your taxes. For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time in governing. Give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Let's just have a word of prayer. Father, we just thank you today. We thank you that your word is true and we can base our life We can stake our reputation on what is written here in the Word of God. So we just pray, Father, that as we look into the Word of God this morning, that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, open our eyes and ears. Lord, make us doers of the Word and not hearers only. We ask for this blessing upon your precious people who are gathered in this place today. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. First of all, the Christian and government. I find these words almost startling when you you think of them in relating to our present day situation. First of all, government is ordained by God. It says it right there in verse 1. The powers that be, this is the King James, the powers that be are ordained by God. The authorities, this was the NIV, that exist have been established by God. And I thought, you know, really? <laughs> Our government? We were, sometimes the people get elected to government that we are not, that we haven't voted for, that we feel are not best, or uh, I'm not going to get into politics today, dear. I mean, I was thinking about this in relation to American politics, and I thought, oh, God have mercy. Anyway, yeah, politics. But, you know, it, but this is what it says, that the powers that be are established by God. It is God's ordering that there should be human government and human laws. Without them, there would be no order, no security. There wouldn't be progress in the nations. And imperfect as our governments may often be, and in some instances there are governments that are very oppressive and unjust, still government in general exists for the purpose of good, and they form part of the divine order for the government of this world. So in that sense, all government is from God. It's ordained of God. In submitting to 
the government, we also submit to God. This is where you sort of say, ouch. It says it here more than once. Therefore, we have to submit. Twice we read it in this passage. Paul recognizes here in this very first verse that God is Lord over all things, even the nations and history. You see that in the Old Testament, don't you, over and over again. Uh, You know, especially I've been reading the um, major prophets in my devotions, Isaiah and Jeremiah. You know, the way God talks about those nations he talks about Babylon and, and, and um, Assyria, and then he talks about the Egyptians. You know, he, he, does, he just says, you know, they're doing my bidding. They do what I tell them. You know, the Israelites looked at them a very different way. They, they looked at them off as, as conquerors and oppressors. But God said, just never mind. I was the one who called them. I was the one who chose them to punish you and to teach you. Anyway, the, that's the Old Testament view. God is in charge. Remember that. Now, I want to just look at the context of the time in which Paul wrote his letters to the churches. And when I think, Lord, you said, you know, that all authority is given by God, all the powers that be are given by God. But see, that was before you knew our powers that be. You know, it's different nowadays, Lord, because let me just tell you a little bit what it was like in those days. Actually, Paul had seen the benefits of the Roman government. He was under the government of Rome. In those days, God's people were under the thumb of Rome. But he had seen that it provided a system of justice. There was a great network of highways for commerce, for travel. Uh, You still have a little bit of that Apian way in Rome, those ancient roads. There was stability in government. Paul himself experienced the benefit of Rome. He was a Roman citizen. So what was the government in Rome like? In the year AD 54, it's about the time from Acts 19 on in the scripture, a new emperor came to the throne. It was a 16-year-old boy whose name was Nero. Nero. He started things off with a bang by poisoning his 14-year-old stepbrother. He carried on affairs with women in public. In time, he had his ambitious uh, mother murdered. He got married. He murdered his first wife. Um, He was known for cavorting in the streets at all hours of the night and early morning. He loved to race chariots. He fancied himself a great actor. When Rome's went up in flames in the year AD 64, Nero pointed to the Christians as a handy scapegoat, which unleashed a vicious persecution against the church. It is generally, generally believed that it was during this time and under the rule of Nero that both Peter and Paul were, uh, martyred. Meanwhile, Nero ran the empire into serious debt. His gifts to various friends each year mounted up to five times the cost of maintaining the Roman army, which was very vast. Now, how do you think the early church should have reacted to this kind of government? Does this sound to you like good governance? No, no. What was their view of an immature, immoral, ruthless leader at the head of their government? government. Listen to what Paul says. This is in 1 Timothy chapter 2. I'm reading most of verse 1 to 4. This is what Paul said. I urge you then, first of all, that request, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and for all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Pray. 
pray for them. This is what Peter said. And this is in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13, 14, 17. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to authority. Ooh-ooh. For the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men. Whether the king as the supreme authority or to the government who are governors who are sent by him to punish those who are wrong and to commend those who do right, show proper respect to everyone, love the brotherhood of believers, fear God, honor the king. Wow. Wow. We have to bring it all back. Okay, it went away. I may have to get help. Let's see. Here it is. Back. I'm using a new device. That was a mistake to use a new device for the first time on you because all the glitches and this is not a technically savvy person. You see my age. (laughs) If I were in my 20s or 30s, I would have it all licked. But yes, the Lord is helping me in my weakness. (laughs) In the face of outrageous behavior in high places, both Peter and Paul speak calmly about praying They talk about respecting, honor, or reverence. God provides man with civil authority, just as he provides us with the sun and the rain, in order to protect us. Civil authority has its appointed place in the order which God has established. Government is ordained by God. Secondly, verse 2 tells us that rebellion against authority is rebellion against God. He who rebels against authority is is rebelling against what God has instituted. Some Christians in the early church considered themselves above the law because they were citizens of God's kingdom. They believed that it was all right to disobey civil authority. However, Paul was quick to say that such a belief was wrong because God is the source of all power. We already talked about that, of civil authority. A violation of the law is committing a wrong against God as well. It's a serious thing to think about, isn't it? Thirdly, now, and this one I I find so amazing, rulers are servants of God. This is what it says in verse 3. Verse 3 says, no, it's verse 4, the primary purpose of civil authority, he is God's servant to do you good. Actually, in the King James, it uses the word the minister of God, God's minister. Oh, my goodness. God's minister? He? My leader? I never thought about that. Actually, we do have the term for our high government officials, ministers. I learned not to use that term. You know, sometimes in your uh, immigration or your papers, when you're traveling, it'll say occupation. One time I wrote minister, (laughs) and I thought, oh, my goodness. You know, they're going to think I'm some government official. I better, you know, and I better not, because we use that term, minister. But when we think about minister of God, servant of God, what? The ruler is to serve for the good and for our good. He provides order and protection in society. He tries to restrain evil. The title minister of God shows that the ruler deserves respect because he is God's servant within the government. Remember that (laughs) the next time you show disrespect for your government leaders. I want to just follow along again along this idea why Christians must 
obeys civil authorities. Verse 5 is interesting. It actually gives two reasons why we as believers should obey civil authorities. First of all, it says, for fear's sake. In other words, if you do something wrong, you better be afraid. You're going to get caught. Uh, I was, we were on our way to the airport yesterday, and of course, the traffic is so bad as in Hyderabad, just like, just like Bangalore. And my driver, of course, was trying to redeem the time. So you know how they try to cheat a little bit and they kind of pull up to the head of the line. And then the light's just about to turn red and he's squeezing through on yellow. I, I said to him, you know, that's dangerous. They have cameras up there now on those lights. They take pictures, I know, because I already got a ticket once. You know, I mean, we were actually in a line of traffic, see, justifying why. And uh, th- suddenly it slowed down and the light turned red and we're still in the intersection. Whose car got their picture taken? Who got a ticket in the mail? We did. Who paid it? We did. But I said, you know, you you don't try to squeeze through. If you do something wrong, then you have to be afraid, right? There's consequences if you do something wrong. So that's, we, we do, we obey civil authorities because rulers have the power to afflict punishment. They even have power to take life. That's, of course, a big debate in this world, capital punishment was ordained or or, uh, okayed by God. You can read about it in Genesis, the ninth chapter, for certain crimes, of course. But there's really, to me, a much higher reason why we obey authorities. And it's also there in verse 5. It's right at the end of the verse. It says, uh, because of conscience. There's a much higher reason for us as believers. Not because I don't want to have to pay a ticket. It's true, I don't. But it isn't fear of punishment. It's because I have a conscience given by God. I want to please God. We have a higher motivation. Any citizen can obey the law because of fear of punishment. But a true believer should obey because of conscience, not because of fear of consequences. It's because I know what is right to do. And the scripture is very clear to him that knoweth to do right and doeth it not. It is sin. I know better. As Christians, we recognize the authority of the government as God's servant. Then this next one, this is another ouch. Pay what you owe. How many of you have ever wrestled with that debate? Do I really have to pay taxes? <laughs> Especially around tax time, <laughs> we wrestle with that. Uh, and they, they never go down, do they? They never go. I mean, I got a bite to eat at the airport. And, you know, I got Idlis. I love Idlis. And it wasn't that expensive. You know, Idlis are not a high-cost food. And when I got my bill, I thought, oh, my goodness, how did it get so big? Taxes. You know, 14% for this and 12% for that. You know, when you add that all up, you know, you have, the bill always just leapfrogs taxes. <laughs> uh, but Paul said, pay what you owe. Uh, if we owe taxes, pay taxes. I, I'm not going to give you a big, long uh, sermon about taxes. But I do want to say to you, well, let me say this. We, as a church, I mean, in our office... We have vendors come for payment. And they'll, we go through this every week. I mean, this last week, literally, this happened again. My accountant comes up to me and he said, now this vendor, he doesn't want to give us a real bill, a real bill. He says, we'll just give you paper. 
if we give a real bill, then we'll have to pay tax. And I always say, tell him I want a real bill because I don't intend to cheat the government. And, you know, the vendors always just, <laughs> you know. I mean, usually we end up, I said, if necessary, we'll pay the taxes, you know, because they don't want to pay the taxes. That's on their conscience. They, they, but I have a conscience that says, pay what you owe. So if you wrestle with that, I just want to tell you today, pay what you owe. God is no man's debtor. God is the one that institutes authority, even civil authority. And I, he'll take care of you. He'll make it up to you. Be honest, dear Christian businessman. If we owe revenue, pay revenue. If you owe respect, give respect. It's in Peter's prayer. If you owe honor, give honor. That was also in Peter's prayer. We give what we owe, the things that God expects of us. Now, I want to move along and just talk about this. What not there a conflict between what the government requires and what God requires? Both in the Old and the New Testaments, there were many times when in the religious sphere and in the political sphere, there were conflict. Uh, there's the example, of course, of Daniel in the Old Testament when he was carried away as a captive to Babylon. And he and his friends were required to uh, eat. And, you know, they were put in training. And they were supposed to eat the diet that was provided by the king's officer. And Daniel and the three Hebrew young men with him refused to eat that diet because they believed that to, to do so would have compromised their faith. They believed that it was more important to observe their Hebrew faith than the king's commands. That beautiful verse the first chapter of the book of Daniel, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. We often quote that and we teach that to our young people. In the New Testament, in the book of Acts, we see the response of Peter and the apostles in, the, in chapter 4. Remember when the authorities brought them in? Actually, they threw them in jail and then they brought them in and they said, you will not preach anymore in this name. And of course, they were talking about the name of Jesus. This was after the healing of the lame man. And there was such a big celebration, a big Tamasha there on the temple porch. And those uh, priests were more than a little upset. They said, don't you dare, you know, back to prison you go if you preach in his name anymore. And what did Peter say? He, you know, he was an amazing guy. He said, we must obey God rather than man. Actually, those early apostles, they went to prison many times. They endured beating. A lot of things happened to them for the stand that they took. We recognize that while civil authorities are established by God to provide order, to protect our society, they do not take over. They are, are not above the authority of God. If they tell or ask something that goes above the authority that we have from God, then if it comes to a matter of breaking the law of God, as a believer, I must obey the law of God. I, I think sometimes it's a difficult choice. That's something which only you can face. God has given us all a conscience. We know where we can obey the authorities in clear conscience. But I just want to say that we do have that responsibility to stand up for what's right when we have to. Now, 
the thing, the wonderful thing about freedom is we have freedom, not only political freedom, we have freedom here in our country, which we are celebrating this week. It's a great thing. It's a great thing. There's many countries in this world who don't have the freedoms that we have here in India, and uh, we, we, we celebrate. But there's another freedom that we have that is even greater. The scripture tells us that we were bound in sin, that all of us came under a bondage to evil, and that in believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, we were set free from that bondage, that we were set free to life. And that is the greatest thing. That's something that we celebrate every Sunday when we gather together. That is the greatest thing that we have as believers is freedom. Freedom from sin. Freedom from the uh, curse of sin. Freedom from the consequences of sin. That's a great thing. And we give glory to God for that. But remember the words of Nehru? With freedom comes responsibility. I love being free. I'm free. I'm free. I can do anything I want. Yeah, maybe, maybe not. (laughs) With freedom comes responsibility. Now, don't get afraid. That's a whole nother message. I'm not going to, I'm not going to start that one at the beginning. I'm going to start, I'm just going to jump and do that one right at the end. I just want to talk about our responsibility for just a few moments. This is something you know very well, but I think it's something that bears reminding. What responsibility do we have as believers for, toward our uh, government? What, should, what does our influence need to be? And of course, that beautiful portion of scripture in chapter, in Matthew, I'm sorry, in Matthew chapter 5, I think maybe I'll read it going to get take me a moment to get there but we know it and you know it because it's part of your uh i'm not sure what you call that i've seen it on your church uh, website you know this very well matthew 5 i don't know what i said 5 let me go back here we are matthew 5 13 you are the light i mean the salt of the earth but if the salt loses its saltiness how can it be made salty again it is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men then verse 14 you are the light of the world a city set on a hill cannot be hidden neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl instead they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house in the same way let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Christ describes the influence of Christians here in, by using two metaphors, salt and light. You, believers, are the salt of the earth. One of the most important properties of salt, and you know this, is that it prevents decay. It keeps food from spoiling. As believers, we are to penetrate our society so that we can prevent our society from decaying. I think that's so important. Is there decay in this society? Yes, there is. Are the moral values going down in our society? Yes, they are. We need salt. We need salty Christians who are helping. They're sprinkling their salt. Salt in the salt shaker is useless. You have to pour it out. You have to pour it out. Let your salt 
go out in society. That's the only way that you're going to prevent decay. You, did you ever notice that he didn't say you are the honey of the earth? Honey is sweet. I want to be sweet. I really I like to be sweet. You know, another property of salt. Have you ever had a cut? Women do this in the kitchen. You, you, I do this. Cut myself with a knife, forget, and then get it in salt or salty water. Ah, it stings when you put salt in a cut. Christians are salty. We don't always have a sweet message. It's nice to be sweet. I like sweet Christians. But the, 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 the master said to his disciples, you are the salt of the earth. Let's be salty. To be effective, we have to be salt. You know what happens to salt that isn't effective? It's there. You just throw it out. You throw it out, and it's trampled by the... And I thought, oh, please, God, not please. I don't want to be thrown out onto the kachita bin and just carried away by the garbage man. No, no. I want to be a salty Christian. But the other metaphor, light. This is such a beautiful, beautiful illustration. Light penetrates darkness. This is the nature of light. And it's our responsibility as believers to reflect the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the whole thing. You are not the source of light. Light doesn't shine out of you because you're a a light bulb. Light shines out of us because we are reflectors of light. When I came back, I was out of the country for three months. I just came back a few weeks ago. I kept thinking, my house is so dark. Why is my house so dark? It's like the lights are out in here in the daytime when the sun is shining. Then I looked one day and I thought, yeah, my windows, my windows were filthy. And I thought, the the, the light can't even get into my house. So I called some workers to come and help. We can manage the first floor, but my house has two floors. And I'm too old to climb up in the ladder. And my lady's too old to climb up in the ladder. I had to get somebody that could climb up in the ladder and clean those windows. We cleaned the windows. Oh, my goodness. I just kept standing in the house and just looking out, the windows beaming. It looked so nice. You could see the light. This is what happens to believers. We get grimy. We get dirty sometimes. We cannot reflect the light when we're covered with sin or disobedience. Let your light so shine. If we want our light to shine, we've got to keep the mirror clean. We have to keep the windows clean so that the Jesus said, I, I am the light of the world. We're, we're not the source of light, but he is. But he is reflected in your life. He's reflected in your testimony. What are you doing to reflect the light of Jesus Christ in your life? You know, we we just, we come to church and we say, I'm a good Christian. I come to church. I pay my tithes. But what about the light? What about when you're not here on Sunday morning? What about when you're at home in your neighborhood, in your flats? What about when you're in the office? Are you reflecting the glorious light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have to be very careful to develop a godly character. We must be sure that the life we live is full testimony that Christ is in us. I want to uh, come to a close with the parable of the candles. I don't know if you've heard this before. It's actually in a book Max Licato wrote, but I just came across it recently, and it, it really it gripped me. It's a parable. This is the parable of the candles. 
There were once four candles that were placed in a storeroom. One day, there was a blackout. Must have been India. Well, I don't know. A lot of countries have blackouts. The entire house was plunged into pitch darkness. The master of the house came to the candles, and he said, This is the moment you were created for. I can't wait to get you out there where you're really needed. I'm going to put one of you on the table so we, want, we can eat. I'm going to put another one of you in the study room so the children can do their homework. And you, the biggest one, I'm going to put you in the living room, and you'll be able to give light to the whole place. And as he began to bring out the candles one by one, One of the candles protested and said, don't take me out there. What? The master asked in amazement. I said, don't take me out there. What do you mean? Asked the master. I have to take you out. You are a candle. Your job is to give light. It's dark out there. People are bumping into things and walking into walls. You have to come out and light up the place. But you can't take me out, the candle said. I'm not ready. I need more preparation. The master could not believe his ears. More preparation? Yes. I have decided I need to research the job of light giving so that I won't go out and make mistakes. I've just finished studying about wind resistance. Now I'm reading the latest book, Displaying Your Flame. All right, then, said the master. You're not the only candle here. I'll blow you out, and I'll take the others. Uh, But we're not going either, the other candles chorused. But you are candles. Your job is to light dark places. They answered, that may be what you think. You may think we have to go, but I'm too busy. I'm meditating on the importance of light. It's really very enlightening, said the second candle. The third one spoke up. As for me, I am waiting to get my life in order. I am not stable enough. I lose my temper easily. I won't be a steady flame. The master looked at the candle, the last candle. Well, she said, I would like to help, but lighting the darkness is not my gift. (sighs) I'm a singer. I sing to the other candles to encourage them to burn more brightly. At this, she started singing, this little light of mine. And soon all the other candles joined in the chorus, and the storeroom was filled with singing. The master took a step back, and he looked at those four healthy candles, all singing to each other about light, but refusing to come out of the storeroom. One by one, he blew them out. And they kept singing. They just kept singing. And I thought, Lord, please don't blow me out. We're so happy to come to the storeroom. But this is not where your light will shine. Light shines in the dark places. That's where your light is needed. You come here to trim the wick, to get, if you're an oil lamp, to get filled with oil. But this is not where your light needs to shine. Your light needs to shine in the dark places. Because if we refuse to leave the storeroom, one day the master will just say, I'm just going to blow you out. You're of no use to me. And I thought, oh God, please help me to be willing to go out. Not in the comfort, not just to enjoy singing about light here. It's okay to be in the storeroom. It's okay to be encouraged and blessed, but we must go 
out. We have a job. We have a responsibility. We have been set free. The light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ has set us free. We have a responsibility to shed that light abroad, to tell those in darkness, light influences, light shines in darkness. It should be the very nature of the child of God to let his light shine. That's what God has created us. Let your light so shine that men may see your good works, not to say, oh, what a good person she is. What a lovely man he is. They may see your good works and glorify your father in heaven. Three basic guidelines we've talked about for responsible citizenship. Number one, obey our government for the sake of our conscience. Secondly, recognize that always our foremost allegiance is to God. And thirdly, we have to influence our society by being a stabilizing force, by being salt, by being light. That's our responsibility to be the light and the salt in our society. How am I going to celebrate this wonderful Independence Day? I'm going to enjoy the advantages that we have in our country, but I'm going to do my best to solve tomorrow's problems. As a responsible Christian, I'm going to honor our government. I'm going to uphold the laws of the land, but also as a responsible believer. I'm going to be salt. I'm going to be light. I'm going to say, Lord, shine through me. Shine through me. I believe God has a work for every one of us. Not We don't work here in the storeroom. We rest here. <laughs> we get renewed in our spirit here so that we can go out and be a blessing. Father, we thank you. We thank you for these precious ones that have come to the house of the Lord today. We thank you that we are called, that we are chosen by you. Lord, that you have put, that you have trusted and trusted us with the glorious light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And now I do just pray that you would make us willing, give us the boldness. Lord, if we're a little bit timid, if we're afraid, help us to be willing to go out in our communities, in our workplace, in our colleges and schools. We want to let the light of Jesus Christ shine. Lord, the only way people will know and see what there is in Jesus is if they see it in you and in me. Lord, I just pray in Jesus' name that you would bless these precious ones, and we will give you all the praise and the glory for everything you do. Amen. Do you know that song, Brother Jay Kumar? It's a hymn. I know hymns. It's, it's an age thing. Do you know that old hymn, Take My Life and Let It Be, uh, uh, Consecrated, Consecrated? could, Could we just maybe sing that as we close today? Take my moments and my days, let them flow in ceaseless praise. One verse says, take my silver and my gold, not a mite would I withhold. Let's just give him everything that we have today. If, if you don't know this song, it's not too hard to learn, and uh, maybe we can sing it. I don't know if you have the words either. I, I didn't. Do you have the words, anybody? I don't know who. Uh, I know it's, you know, I thought of it once earlier, and then I forgot. I should have given you a heads up about that. Well, Pastor Bolasing, he knows it. 
You're old enough, right? You're old enough to know that song. <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought. We'll try it anyway. Um, take my Okay, and there's an American tune and an English tune, too, isn't there? You're singing a little differently than I am. And let it be. That's the American tune. All these hymns have two tunes. <laughs> okay, I'll just sing it my way, okay. and we'll see what happens. Okay, here we go. Stand together, shall you? Take my life and live. not here. Yeah, have they moved it? No, they haven't. Do you have the other? There's takes my what? And let it move at the impulse of your love. They don't have that yet. You take It'll my come. hands we have and to... let them move at the impulse of thy love. Take there my feet. Is. You have it. Oh, yeah. oh, take my There's feet and let them be. <laughs> uh, okay, there it is. Excellent. Thank you, brother. Take my hands Yes, Lord, we dedicate our hands to you. We dedicate our feet to you. Let's put our hands together and just appreciate. Thank you so much for being with us. And 
Thank you so much. Man. Just want to remind us a um, couple of things here. Tomorrow is uh, the women's conference. Uh, Pastor Arlene Stubbs will be um, ministering at the women's conference. It's at the U- uh, UTC, United Theological College. So ladies, uh, you're, I encourage you to please be there. Uh, we've got a good number of people already registered. Just encourage others to come. Now, I know tomorrow's Independence Day. For those of you who are working in schools, you may have to go morning for the Independence Day. Uh, uh, thing, but finish that and then do try to come. The, the conference starts at 10, so even if you make it a little late, you'll be there for the other sessions through. It'll go on till about 4 o'clock, and I should be ministering at three sessions. So it'll be a great time to receive um, through Pastor Arlene tomorrow for the women. Uh, next Sunday is what? Big Sunday, all right? And where are we meeting? We'll be meeting at Poblins, the other location, right? So invite your friends for Big Sunday. Uh, it's going to be a great day. We'll be spending uh, about half the day. So I've got a lot of things planned for the day. Uh, so in addition to being there at the service, plan to stay back for lunch and the games uh, after the service. Right? Now one more thing. Uh, NLAG, uh, they're getting ready to, uh, they've just bought a land and they're getting ready to build buildings. Okay? So I want to encourage us as a church uh, and you as individuals is to sow into their building. All right. So you go to their church website, nlag.in, right? And um, you'll find information about how you can give. So I want, you to, I want to encourage you to sow into their building project, right? Uh, they've got, I think, 12 acres of land, 12, 12 acres of land, and they are getting ready to construct. So let us as a church, I'm encouraging you to do it directly, just to go to their church website, sow into their building project, and, and do what we can to give to bless uh, that congregation in, in Hyderabad, to have their building. Can you do that? Right? Those of you who like to, those of you who led to do that, just go ahead to the church website so and so into their church building. So let's take a moment to pray and then we will close. Father, we just thank you so much for the word and what was brought to our hearts this morning. And Father, we pray that we will, Lord, walk in what we've heard, being accountable to you and honoring the government in our nation, that we will do that, Father. And Lord, I just pray also, God, that you will call people here in this place to be a part of our government, Lord. Raise up men and women, God, who will be a part of the government, who will be influencers, Father, in the government, who will be standard bearers, Lord, who will truly be salt and light in the government. Father, we pray you will raise up people, make them members of parliament, set them, Lord, in the high places in our land, in our nation, And Lord, give them the courage to truly be salt and light in our government. We pray even from amongst us, you'll raise up men and women to make a difference, Father, in the government of our nation. We pray, God, that you'll raise up people who'll be policymakers, who'll influence policies across our lands. That we will bring in the truth. That we will establish your truth, Lord, across various areas of governance, Father. You'll use us to influence the policies, influence the decisions being made across this nation. Raise us up into such places, Father God. We pray for the release of grace and anointing upon your people to be able to do that. Raise, Lord, Daniels and Esthers. Raise them, Father, in every sphere of society to influence policy, to influence decisions across this land. Father, we pray that we will take our positions in the government of this nation And be salt and be light and make a difference. We ask, Lord, you will cause that to come to pass. We thank you. We bless you. In Jesus' name. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, our Father, and the sweet fellowship of his Holy Spirit be with each of us always. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. 
Thank you so much for being here today. Have a great Sunday. Have a great week. We trust that this message was a blessing to you. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at contact at apcwo.org. Also, visit our website www.apcwo.org for additional resources. Thank you for listening and God bless you.